Okay, so let's get going for today, and we're looking at chapter 6. Now, this is one, as I've said before, this is one of the um, four or five really critical chapters in the book. Chapter 4 was key with signifiers and conceptual signifieds and reference. 6 is key for levels of interpretation. 10 and 11, where we finally start putting it all together and so forth. So this one cannot be overestimated as far as its value is concerned. Now, um, going to quote from Buzz's paper here about semiotics. Semiotics is the study of nonverbal signifiers. And the reason I'm picking up your summary here, Buzz, is that um, uh, one of the things that is critical to see, especially with this lesson, is that words, i.e., conceptual signifieds, and deeds are the same thing, or can be seen as the same thing. That is to say, you can read them as signifiers. All right? So if I would, by words, I mean conceptual signifieds, not the thoughts. So in other words, these signify or can be said to signify something. Now, you do this all the time. You see two people talking. Somebody shakes a fist in a guy's face. It signifies that he's angry. It signifies they're not having a good day together. You can read this. We all know this famous saying, actions speak louder than words. That's what we're talking about. When you say actions speak, you mean they, you read them as you would read a signifier. So essentially now, and this is going to be the first major point I want to make sure I get across to you today. When we're talking about reading, let's say, on level two, we are talking about reading the actions, the deeds, let us say, in a story. That's what we're talking about. Instead of talking about reading the marks on the page, we're talking, and JB, you had a very interesting way you put that in your paper, about, I forget how you said, like the ink markings or something like that on the page. That's what we do on level one. We look at those patterns of the ink stuff. When we read on level two, we're reading the activities depicted in the text. Now, this next part that I want to tell you is so important because I would say about half the people get this wrong, this next part. And that is, when we talk about reading a text on various levels, by that I don't mean, if you're on level two, whoa, it gets deeper. And in level three, whoa, it really gets deeper. It doesn't mean that. Does it mean that? No, that's right. It doesn't mean that. <clears throat> uh, it actually means that you are reading different signifiers. Maybe instead of levels, you could use a word like orders or something like that, orders of signifiers. <clears throat> so... When you're reading on level one, 
And this is, this is how you decide. You know, there will be a test question on the final about reading at these various levels. Here's how you decide. You just ask yourself, what am I deciphering for meaning? If, I'm, if I am reading the scratchings on the page, I'm reading on level one. Okay? I'm reading on level one. <clears throat> but if you have something like this, Jesus walked on the water. Okay? Now, if you look at that, you see the black marks on the board, and from that you get an image in your mind of Jesus walking on the water. Now, if I ask this question, well, what did it mean that he walked on the water? Oh, it means he's God. It means the creator has mastery over his creation, something like that. I'm not reading the marks on the page anymore. All those marks do is say Jesus walked on the water. Not, not the disciples helped a crippled man. See? So on the most basic level, level one, it's what it's saying, or what I described in the chapter as the sense. Level two, you could describe this way. What you're doing is you're reading the meaning of the meaning. You know? So in other words, those scratchings on the page elicit an image in your mind. Now you read the images in your mind. And now listen to this next part. I only call it level two because we happen to be using a book. If I look straight at you and Dallas wrestling, you know, beating each other up or something, I say, boy, they're not having a good day, and I'm reading the deeds. If I'm looking at it directly, it's sort of not level two at that point. It's kind of level one. I'm looking at it directly. But when you are reading things in the Old and the New Testament, and this is what you've got, this is your level one access to everything right here. Now, when you start saying things like, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, this shows that he's God who has the victory over life and death or something like that. Well, you're not reading that book anymore. You're reading the fact that he did this stuff. You're now reading the deed. I mean, that, that, that's a nice poetic way to say it. You read the deed. And, you know, let me just say as a, a sidebar here, it doesn't even, I'm not making, when I say that, read the deed, I'm not making an historical judgment. You know, like, well, if you say read the deed, then you're, saying for sure that that happened or something. No, no, no. You can do reading the deeds in fiction books too or in Aesop's fables or something like that. You're just reading the deed that is depicted for you by the signifiers on the page. Now, level three is this. I'm reading something else. <clears throat> The fact that every time I use some kind of an example, it ten, it, it'll tend to come from the world of sports. So let's just say that you're trying to make an approach shot to the green. 
then the next day. Hey, let's just say you're a goalie, you know, and so on like this. Well, you would have you would have the right to read me on level three what I'm saying and say, gee, he keeps talking about this stuff. He must really be a sports fan. Now, at that point, when you read it that way, you weren't reading the meaning of when you make an approach shot to the green, nor were you reading what I was saying as far as the significance of making an approach shot to the green. All you were reading is the fact that I was talking about stuff like this. Okay? So level three tells you about the speaker or writer, not about whatever that speaker or writer is talking about. When I was a student at Cambridge, I stayed at Westfield House, the English theological seminary there in Cambridge. Um, One year in the early 70s, a guest professor came over and taught the English students who were going to the seminary there. Well, one day, these students came up to my room. I was working on my own Ph.D. stuff, and they were taking the seminary courses. They came up to my room, and they said, Hey, Jim, is there something wrong with Professor X? Every time he gives an example in pastoral practice, it's got to do with sex. It'll be something like, A couple comes to talk to you about counseling because their marriage isn't working out. Or you're distributing communion and some woman comes and she has a really low bodice. And and they said, every time there's some kind of an example, it has to do with sex. Then, then, Then they said, what, does he have sex on the brain? Now, see, they were reading it on level three. They weren't talking about his examples at all. They weren't discussing whether the examples illustrated what he was trying to illustrate or whether they were accurate or anything like that. But the fact that he was talking about X, that they read as telling about the speaker. Now, how many of you are married? Put your hands up. Okay. Over in this quadrant, we have a bunch of hopelessly naive people. All right, married guys, put your hands up again. All right, all you guys, mostly in the back of the room, you should know, you can put your hands down now, you should know this is the level at which your wife interacts with your communications. She reads you on level three. So, in other words, when you're talking about something like you take a look in a catalog, there's a swimsuit, and you say, hey, that's really an interesting suit. It's got a real slimming design. What's she going to say? No. Well, could, what? That's right. You think I'm fat and I have to, exactly. The fact that you are talking about it. You see, tells something about you. It's not talking about the swimsuit. Now, we will illustrate this. We will illustrate this for Wednesday, and I hope somebody will take up the challenge here. I want one of you married guys to agree to do the following. (laughs) And we're going to see what happens here. 
and this has never failed, I will tell you. I want one of you to go home tonight, or do it tomorrow night, and sometime at supper time, you just completely casually mention this. Say, there's a new gal working in the library. She's got really nice clothes. Okay? All right. Anybody volunteer to try this? Whedon? Whedon's going to do it? My wife already knows about it. She knows about it. Okay. She knows about it. Any, anybody going to try on on Drakum? You going to try that? Man, I'm about to start packing my stuff. I yeah. <laughs> Billy? 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 Oh, yeah, that, that's not very good. Okay. Okay. Uh, huh? Nick, Australians react differently. Well, they might. They might. Uh, anybody? Come on out here. Huh? You're going to try it? going to try it. Okay, be casual about it. In fact, you don't even have to mention the clothes. I mean, just say, hey, they got a new gal working in the library. You know, something like this. No, 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 no. Now, now, when, when he says, when he says, hey, they got a new gal working in the library, on level one it is, there's a new employee in the library. Not something like, hey, they canceled our games tomorrow for intramurals. All right, so on level one, that's what it is. Now, if she'd be reading this on level two, okay, she'd be reading on level two, then she would be reading the fact of there being a new woman working in the library. Okay? Now, she could conclude from that, hey, library's uh, finances are looking up. They can put more staff on. Okay? So now you're reading the situation that you're describing on level two. Level three, it will be, what does it tell her about you observing this fact? So we'll see at what level she reads this, all right? If I have to actually contact her later, I will do so. All right, I had to do that once to straighten out a guy's marriage. All right, so, <clears throat> right, right. Because she did not believe that it was actually a class project. So this is a class project, all right? <laughs> what? What point can he tell her? Well, after she gives a reaction. I mean, he's going to have to. He, yeah, after she flips out. You've got to give it time. Exactly. You've got to give it time. There you go, Buzz. Yeah. That's why Buzz is single. I know. What about you, Alex? I'm single, too. I know. I know. See? Okay. I'd say so. Very good. Very good. So, Joe, I'm glad that you're, uh, uh, you know, you're going to volunteer to do this. By the way, his wife watches the before he goes home every day. Well, the... Um, uh, just to go back to this point, uh, to the single guys over here, you guys are so naive. All of you guys are so naive. You do not have any idea how, in general, women operate on this level. Now, I've had women in class, you know, deaconess and so on, and they will absolutely affirm that what I'm saying is true, that this is essentially the way... Um, communication is uh, what interacted with by women. By the way, 
This is exactly why. Now think about this a second. This is exactly why women enjoy gossiping. Because gossiping is not information about what you're talking about. Gossiping is essentially a level three operation. The fact that I am sharing something with you tells me, tells you about my feelings for you, where you stand in my estimation and so on. See? So it's, it's got nothing to do with the actual information. It is the fact that I am actually sharing that kind of information that's really critical. So uh, we'll see. Thank you very much for participating in this experiment. Yes? What was the statement he's supposed to say? He's supposed to say, uh, say they got a new gal working in the library. I notice they have a new gal working in the library. Yeah. She has nice clothes. Yes, she has nice clothes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean, you can do it, it kind of like this. Hey, you know, they got a new gal working in the library. Yeah, she's got nice clothes. I mean, just, it's got to be kind of casual. She had a really nice sweater on. Have you tried it with your wife? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it works. Did you tell her it was a class project? Trouble is that this is... Uh, uh, my wife is semiotically aware of the three levels of meaning, though, so it's, it's hard to pull anything on her now. She said, that means the library has finances that, See, that's exactly it. <clears throat> now, now, let me give you some examples of reading. I don't think level one is a difficulty. It's level two and three that's generally unclear in people's minds. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. From the Lutheran Witness, back in April of last year, um, there was a question that was raised here. This is really related just to the resurrection uh, to Easter. And take a look. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now comes the question. What is the theology of the LCMS concerning these verses? That question is, how do you read it on level two? Because on level one, what does the text mean? There was an earthquake and the people came out of the tombs. All right? It doesn't mean any more than that on level one. Look what they say as far as an answer is concerned. I put this two in, in the margin. What is important is the fact that the resurrection of these saints shows that death has been conquered and that the resurrection and eternal life are a reality. That's reading on level two. There is nothing in the text that says that in if I may use a phraseology everybody knows, in so many words. Okay? But that's reading a narrative on level two. Okay? <clears throat> Here's another interesting one. A number of years ago, I used to be on the uh, committee that was doctrinal review. Let me give you this and then I'll take your question, okay? Okay. Um, <clears throat> And I was reading an Old Testament survey book, and here's what this says. Second Kings does not end with the destruction of Jerusalem. The reader returns to Babylon, where Jehoiakim was being held captive. The narrative explains that Jehoiakim was released from prison 
and was allowed to live out his life in relative comfort. Now, here's what they say. Clearly, this ending demonstrates that despite the horrors of Jerusalem's fall, God's presence remained with his people. Where is that from? That despite the horrors of Jerusalem's fall, God's presence remained with his people. I'll tell you where it's from. You're reading on level two. The fact that Jehoiakim was released and was allowed to spend his time in relative comfort. So essentially, what you get is narrative. I mean, here's here's a kind of a basic principle. Narrative tends to express its meaning and its theology on level two. That is to say, the deeds of the story. Narrative does. Letters, essays, they tend, like Paul's letters, they tend to express their theology on level one with words, such as God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What do you get in the Gospels? Jesus dies, the tombs open, the people come out. See? Now, this is a very important point for you to get. That in general, now this isn't universal, there's level one stuff in the the Gospels, and there's level two stuff in the Epistles, but this is your rule of thumb. Rule of thumb is that you're going to find theology expressed on level two in Gospels, Pentateuch, narrative stuff. And you'll find it essentially expressed on level one in things like epistles, the Psalms, and so on like that. Where it's describing things. Now, a Lutheran hymn writer, writer, Donald Bassaro, Uh, has an interesting, here you can see his name, I've got it up there, Bissarro, has an interesting um, hymn called The Baptism Carol. Now what I want to do is I want you to listen to this. This is just shot through with level two interpretation. And it, it sounds very natural. Now listen to this. The sinless one to Jordan came, to share our fallen nature's blame. Well, where's that? That when he came to the Jordan and was baptized, that he shared in our sinful nature. Well, you're reading the sinless Son of God being baptized for the forgiveness of sins as doing that. Now listen to this line. Above him, see the heavenly dove, the sign of God the Father's love say that in the text. You just have the heavenly dove. But he's reading on level two. It goes on. Now by the Holy Spirit shed upon the Son's anointed head. How blessed that mission then begun to heal and save a race undone. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he is then beginning his mission to save the race. But it doesn't say that in the text. Not in, quote, so many words. It's good theologizing on the text. 
Straight to the wilderness he goes to wrestle with his people's foes. Well, that's an interpretation of Jesus wrestling with Satan. That it's his people, so he is overcoming the tempter of his people, but it doesn't say so in so many words. Now, that is, um, what would you say? These kinds of things are very typical of theologizing on level two, which is reading the activities in the story and getting theology out of them. Now, in the chapter, there's a whole bunch of stuff about how do you get the theology, and we'll talk about that more later. But that's what this is essentially about. Now, let's go to level three. This is the Joe goes home and gets smoked level, okay? Now, all of you have had, have heard on the radio ads for the program called Verbal Advantage. This is the one that teaches you to speak highfalutin stuff. Here, now you can amass a Harvard graduate's vocabulary in 15 minutes a day. Now, this is one of the big things for Verbal Advantage right here. People judge you by the words you use. That's their big tagline for verbal advantage. People judge you by the words you use. Now listen to what it says. Every day, people judge you by the words you use, right or wrong. They make assumptions about your intelligence, your education, and your capabilities. Of course they do. That's because they read on level So it's not the meanings of the words, it's the fact that you're using words like that. So in other words, when you read on level three, it's telling you about the speaker, not about the thing you're talking about. Here was an interesting thing someone gave me back, oh, this is a number of years ago now, my word. Um, I don't even know what the date on this is. Uh, somebody wrote a book, Was Luke a Woman, by Ronald Helms. Now, I want you to look at a couple of items here that I've uh, put a carrot next to. Uh, Look at this. Where do the Gospels tell us more about their author's motives than they do about Jesus? Ah, that's reading on level three. Now go down here. If we adjust our focus from the brilliant imaginative pictures to the imaginations that produced them, to the situations out of which they arose, we get to the point of this book, a study of the minds of the author. That is, in short, a kind of a one-sentence summary of what goes on with the historical critical method. And at the very end of the chapter, toward the end of our reviewing here of chapter 6, we'll talk about this. Uh, Remember I mentioned there at the end about Formgeschichte and redaction criticism and all that. I'll unpack that more. But this is essentially it. When the books, whatever, I was going to say the books of Scripture, but you can do this to anything. When the books of Scripture become primary evidence 
not for the events they're talking about, but rather for the author and or community that produced them, then you're reading on level three. And that is precisely what happens in these critical moves made on the, uh, on the New Testament, on the Old Testament. Now, I want to emphasize something here. It's not that it is illegal, immoral, or fattening to do this. You can read on level three. It may surprise some of you to hear me say that. You can do this. Read the gospel to find out what it tells you about Luke rather than what it tells you about Jesus. I would just ask you to recognize two things when you do that. Number one, it's really, really hard. Okay? It's really, really hard to do that. And number two, recognize that you're doing this kind of other thing, this reconstruction of the genesis of the book. You're not actually talking about, you're not actually studying what the book's talking about. You're talking about the generation, the genesis of the book. You're talking about the production of the book. You remember, remember in our, uh, our first unit, which was the uh, introduction, remember how we had that triptych? And we had, this is the author, the text, and the reader or the receiver. And I said that this was text production, this is the text itself, and then this is the reception, all right? When you're reading on level three, you're kind of stuck here. You're stuck in text production. So it's interesting. Might even on occasion be right. But you're doing something essentially other than most people think you should be doing with documents of an historical nature. <clears throat> All right, um, uh, Dan, I, I'll get your question in a second. I just want to look at a couple more of these level three examples that I have. Now, here's a very interesting one. This is from the Office of Vespers for the assignment of vicarages at our seminary. And you can see here, it's from 1997. Now, I want to show you the kind of thing that can be done here. In the processional hymn, which many of you probably know, May Jesus Christ be praised, When morning gilds the skies, My heart awaking cries, May Jesus Christ be praised. When evening shadows fall, This rings my curfew call, May Jesus Christ be praised. Okay? Now, lots of verses. Thank you. <clears throat> Let all of humankind in this their concord find. May Jesus Christ be praised. Let all the earth around ring joyous with the sound. May Jesus Christ be praised. All right, you go through. All of a sudden, when I was sitting in the audience, uh, you know, with the prof sitting up there, we come to verse 9. Now listen to verse 9. Now I'm going to just go over verse, uh, 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 sorry, verse 7. I'm going to just do verse 6 
And then go on to verse 7. And listen to the cadence and everything. Sing sun and stars of space. Sing all who see his face. Sing Jesus Christ be praised. God's whole creation o'er, today and evermore. Sing Jesus Christ be praised. Verse 7. Break forth in jubilation. Proclaim to every nation. Shout Jesus Christ be praised. The Father all things making. The Spirit recreating. And Jesus Christ be praised. Now, what strikes you? Right. Instead of, so, uh, instead of just holding it, um, so you have God's old creation, or, and they hold it. You have the Father all things making. There's two syllables there. Right. You notice that immediately, right? So, reading on level three, because I cannot turn this off. I'm thinking, I've got to look at the rest of the program. I'll bet you somebody else wrote verse 7 because it doesn't have the same cadence as verses 1 to 6. Go to the back. Sure enough, hymns and liturgical text. May Jesus Christ be praised. Used by permission. Stanza 7, William Schmelder. See? So that's reading on level 3. The fact that the cadence is different tells me about the production. Notice, I didn't talk at all about what the meanings of the words were. I didn't talk at all about the theology of it, which would be reading on level two. But the fact that somebody wrote it like this told me about the production of it. That's, I was doing some isagogics. I was doing some introduction. I was doing the production of the text on this. So you automatically assumed it was written by a, a different person. That is what I assumed, yes. Now, I would be, pre- be prepared to hear the following, and then I would have been wrong. And that is, <clears throat> it was written by the same author, and he changed the cadence. Now, I'm bringing you back to chapter 5 of the book now. Because the last stanza would then have a different cadence, and it would be A-A-A-A-A-B. Okay? Which would be really neat. I'd love to have thought that somebody could do something like that. But most of the time, people aren't going to do that, so then I assumed that it was a different author. Right. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Now, um, now this is, uh, uh, this is interesting. Back in, uh, now when was this? This is an op-ed piece in 2004 in the New York Times. The candidates seen from the classroom by Stanley Fish. Now, Stanley Fish is a very famous hermeneutics kind of guy, except he basically works in English literature. He doesn't work in theology. And uh, here he is talking about, and look at this draw quote, Bush's style is far more effective than Carey's substance. Now, here's what he says in these paragraphs down here that I have uh, bracketed. Here's what he says. Words are not just the cosmetic clothing of some underlying integrity. They are the operational vehicles of that integrity, the visible manifestation of the character to which others respond. And if the words you use fall apart, ring hollow, trail off, 
and sound as if they came from nowhere or anywhere, the suspicion will grow that what they lack is what you lack, and no one will follow you. Okay? That's because people, as you would say, ineluctably read on level three. It's a New York word, right. Okay, let's pick up some questions. Uh, Dan, I believe you were first. Okay? Uh, yeah, Oz. Um, so basically, when you're interpreting on level three, you're, there's never a sure fact that's going to prove that. That's right. That's know, right. Unless you have more historical understanding. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. In fact, I'm a little ahead of where I wanted to go on this, but this could be called a teaching moment. Yes. Uh, let's put this up here. <laughs> In general, I would say, this is sort of like one of these cooling towers of a nuclear plant or something like that. In general, what happens is as you go from level one to level two to level three, things get more and more diffuse. You have less and less evidence, just what you were talking about. <clears throat> Look, on level one, you have dictionaries and you have grammars. When you're doing level two, you don't have deed dictionaries and deed grammars. You've only got your experience. So, for example, you don't have something like this. You read and it says, Jesus was walking on the water. You get your deed grammar. Water walking on. Ah, God. You know, there's nothing like that. See? There are no deed grammars this way. You have got to know from your experience or for some, some, from something else, you put a matrix together. Now, where, where do you then get some kind of explanation? Well, one of two places. You either find a parallel situation, like in Job, God treading the waves, or you have a statement. Now, listen to how I'm going to say this. You have a statement on level one, i.e., expressed with marks on the page, that seems to explain the thing on level two, such as <clears throat> Jesus doing something and then the people comment about it. So, for example, at the end of Mark chapter 7, Jesus heals a deaf and dumb man. And the people say, he has done all things well, even the blind see and the lame walk, and they give glory to God. All right. So they're describing him who is at least a prophet. Now, now as I say in the book, you do have to judge as to whether or not an explanation on level one is actually correct. Jesus casts a demon out of a guy in Mark 3, and the, high, and the uh, Sadducees say he is uh, in league with Beelzebul. Well, that's an explanation. It just doesn't happen to be a right one. But that's a level one explanation, i.e., given with vocables, of the level two activity. Now, because there are no, here, 
here you have dictionaries and you have grammars. Because you don't have this here, no dictionaries and grammars, but you do have parallels and you do have level one passages, uh, you, but you got a matrix. See, you got a matrix. Of course, if you use a dictionary, you're matrixing to the dictionary in a sense on level one, but, uh, but let's just uh, use it this way. Um, now, remember in the book, I used the example of the wedding at Cana? See, what's hard about the wedding at Cana to interpret on level two is there's no exact parallel anywhere and there's no explanation in the context on level one. This is what you'd love to have. The disciples saw it and realized that Jesus was filling the prophetic hope of Amos chapter 9, you know, or something like that. Or this showed that Jesus brought the abundance of the messianic kingdom. Okay, great. Now you've got a level 1 explanation for level 2. Jesus dies and gives up his spirit. Now here's, here's another great example of the level 1 and level 2. Jesus dies, that stands for parallels. Jesus dies and gives up his spirit and the curtain of the temple uh, rends in two. The centurion says, truly this man was the son of God. See, there's a level one comment as to what was happening on the cross. We accept that one. We don't ex accept the explanation of the uh, uh, Sadducees that, uh, uh, that Jesus was in league with Satan. So you still have to kind of make that judgment. As I say, that's what makes the wedding at Cana hard. We don't actually have a level one thing. And we don't really have a parallel. Now take the, all right, good. Take the resurrection of the young man at Nain. When Jesus raises the young man at Nain, the people say, first of all, a great prophet has arisen among us. Now, why do they say that? Why do they say that? They're comparing him to the Old Testament prophets. And to who? Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Exactly. So you have deed. Now, look, look what's happening. This is a big semiotic deal here, right? Deed. Elijah and Elisha. Deed. Jesus. Parallel things. They're drawing a conclusion from that. Exactly so. Very good. And that's one of the ways you do it. You have a parallel event, then you can get the meaning. Or if you have, like, truly this man was the son of God, you have a level one statement right next to it, then you have it. Now, when the people say a great prophet has arisen, well, we would accept that. <clears throat> so we're accepting their level one assessment right there. Now, when you get to level three, Ozzy, This is where it's a crapshoot. <clears throat> because you're, you're reading between the lines in this sense, not filling in blanks. You're trying to conclude why somebody would have been interested in something. 
I mean, you know, a really good example would be, and I use this in the book, you have all these quotations in Matthew that come from the Bible. Well, here's a, here's a logical thing to conclude. That the people to whom Matthew was written were Old Testament folks, people who are familiar with the Old Testament, Jewish believers. I mean, that's a, that's a logical thing to, to conclude on level three. You know what, though? Maybe it was written by a Gentile guy who had just discovered the Old Testament and was really fascinated by this. So he writes his thing to show this. <clears throat> See, you don't know that. So you're, the, the trouble here is that there really are so many possibilities that could be true. Yeah, Oz. Yes. Now we're going to go through that, and I'll have some of these. Um, um, you're trying to do it. What it could be? Yeah. All right. Well, let me. Well, we're going to get there right now. That was going to be the transition here. Dang! I think I got this thing organized. Okay. Uh, yeah, Billy. I was going to say we've been talking a lot about level three as far as the author, but would that also include the Audience. Yes, yes, yes. It talks about text production, uh, <clears throat> and the text production will essentially involve the audience to whom you are writing and so on like that. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, mm -hmm. doubles your options, right. Okay, now here we go. Here, here it is, levels of signifiers. Now, Oz... Here's the Greek of the verses that I ask you to do. All right? This passage means, And he arose and took along the child and his mother during the night and departed for Egypt, and he was there until the death of Herod, in order that that which had been spoken by the, prophet, by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. On which level are you reading it? That's just level one. And that's the only example we'll have about this. I mean, there's nothing else you can do. Now, all the rest of the ones will be testing you between two and three. Okay? How about this? You got the passage. This passage means, Our Lord's incarnation subjected him to historical events and processes. His divinity did not allow him to float above the vicissitudes of life. Level two. You're doing theology on the deeds of the story. All right, let's try this. Look, I've circled Nyctus and Legantus. The author was fairly adept in Greek, since there are no grammatical errors, and he does use the genitive of time in line 2 correctly, but he may have been a Semite because it is not standard Greek to add the participle Legantus saying before a quotation. That's level 3. Right. And notice when I do it that way, I'm not even talking about the story at that point. That's one of the keys about level three. You're not talking about what happened in history or anything. All right, now what about this? Here's one. This means God used ordinary means to help accomplish his purposes in Christ by Joseph taking it. Two, level two. How about this? <clears throat> to the early church, 
The history of Christ's life was important, so much so that they adopted historical narrative as one of the means of spreading the gospel. Right. Now, see, Billy, that would be the kind of thing you were asking. All right? The people to whom Matthew was written were probably Jewish because the argumentation assumes that the content of the OT is important. Three. Good. This time, I've spread out, I've added verse 21, where it says, And he, having arose, uh, took along the child and his mother, and they went into the land of Israel. Hosea 11.1 is quoted in verse 15. It calls the people of uh, Israel God's son and refers to their exodus from Egypt. Verse 15 now says that this Old Testament passage is fulfilled in the return of Christ from Egypt. This means that when Joseph brought Jesus back from Egypt, God was being a faithful God, true to his promises to bring Israel blessing and to bring her people freedom. Level two. There you go. There you go. Think you guys got this now. Think you guys got this. Uh, you can see that what essentially happens is level one is the basic kind of description of what it's saying. Level two is sort of the theologizing on it because you're reading the deeds and what they mean. Level three, you're drawing implications for... Billy, the production, whether it's the guy writing or the people he was talking to or something like that, the kind of the social context and everything of it. Now, this is why, guys, I want you to realize this, that in the book, and this is pure, I mean, I just made this up. I'm using the word meaning as high on the taxonomic scale. If it's level one, I call it the sense of the text. Level two, the significance of the text. Level three, the implication of the text. So this is level three, this is two, this is one, and in any one of those, you can use as your synonym meaning. Okay? Now, what you will see throughout the book is that I am rigorous in the exactitude on using these words. So if I talk about the significance of the text, you know I'm reading on level two. The theology drawn from the deeds. If I talk about the implications of something, I am talking about reading on level three. I do not use implications in this textbook to mean application. Like, what are the implications for you? Something like that. I don't always use application. <clears throat> as far as I can see, the basic, pro the basic problem in biblical interpretation, and we've had this problem for 40 years. One, nobody distinguishes these three, or to put it another way, nobody distinguishes that sometimes you're reading the marks, sometimes you're reading the deeds, sometimes you're reading the fact that the guy wrote this stuff. And then this, this leads us to the second point. People tend, just in a sloppy way, to use the word meaning. Like they'll say, 
you'll, you'll go to one of these uh, national or international societies, and you'll hear this kind of conversation. <clears throat> you have uh, Joseph taking the child to Egypt, and somebody will say, well, <clears throat> this means that the hopes of Israel will be, were being fulfilled. And somebody else will say, no, 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 no. This means that Matthew was using some kind of uh, legend and was putting them together. Well, one's reading on level two, one's reading on level three. But because they insist on using the word meaning, they think they're all referring to the same thing. This is essentially, um, Oz, I think you use this in New York. This is a heuristic device. Yeah. Uh, this is essentially a way of helping you to discover what it is that you're doing with a text. So th this, this will help you to discover, how's the guy reading? Is he reading this on level, is he reading this for what it's telling him about the speaker? Just think of verbal advantage. Every day people judge you by the words you use, you know. Or, <clears throat> uh, you know, is the guy actually getting theology out of the text? That's the significance. Or, if we don't know the Greek, let's say, are we just arguing about the meaning of the Hina Clause? You know, is that its purpose? Is it result? Is it object? You're just arguing on level one there. That's just level one stuff. One more thing, Oz, before I take your question. And that is this. I hope you can see here. This is why, though, everything rides kind of like this. Everything rides on level one because if you can't read level one, you can't get any place. And one of you asked this in a very interesting paper and said, you know, if you can't get the Greek and the, I'll, I'll come to that paper, you can't get the Greek and the Hebrew, you can't even get going on level two. So if I come if I come to you and have something in Arabic or in the Thai language, you're not going to be able to read the deeds on level two because you can't read the story. Now, you could do a little level three work. You could say, oh, you know, he's kind of a linguist. He can actually work with this language or something. But that's about all you could do. It's about all you could do. So, uh, uh, so level one is always your, your foundational key here. It's always the foundational key. But try to be exacting in your use of the vocabulary there because it will help you to kind of keep on target with what we're talking about at any given time. Oz. So then, are our, our English translations of the Bible are level one and commentaries are two and three? They are level one. Now, if the commentary argues about what the Greek might mean, it's still working on level one. It works with all three levels. But if it's doing stuff like, what is the meaning of the descent of the dove on Jesus? Okay, then, uh, hey, you know, this is, here is a great level two. I was talking about this in Bible class at St. Paul's de Peril uh, yesterday. <clears throat> When the veil of the temple rips in two, what is the meaning of that, i.e. significance? Okay? That's a level two question. Now, 
On level three, you could conclude that the author had access to information about the Jewish things and so on like that. We're not arguing about level one. Schizo means to split, and it's in a passive, so it's, imp- it's uh, it, um, uh, intransitive and so on. But what does it mean that the veil of the temple splits? All right? Somebody, anybody. What does it mean? They can see the Holy of Holies. They can see the Holy of Holies. So now you have direct access to God, right? How about this? God's leaving the temple because now the true sacrifice has come, and as a matter of fact, the stone of stumbling has been rejected by the workmen. God is leaving the temple. See? How the heck are you going to judge between those two things? And this is the kind of question I raise in the chapter. What we've done all through our lesson today is make sure we got hammered down what are these different signifiers that you're reading. You get big problems, you know, my cooling tower thing. See, once you move to level two, there's, there's nothing there in the text that says, and when the temple ripped, that meant that God was now abandoning the Jewish way of doing things. I mean, you don't have anything on level one like that. So now you're, when you're preaching, now you're working on level two. All right, what we're going to do on Wednesday, on Wednesday, I'm going to take your papers. There are some really, really interesting questions in your papers. We're going to expand on that. And uh, uh, I, we will not need your papers for Chapter 7 um, until Thursday. Because we've got to make sure. This chapter is so critical. You've got to get this chapter. Okay, good.